Um, it was so sweet during worship. Uh, Jeremy is up here playing guitar. And I look over and Jude, his son, comes over and Jeremy stopped to go see him. And it, it kind of reminded me of something that I, I feel like someone needs to hear is um, sometimes we need the attention of our father. And I want you to hear this is you might feel like God has left and he's not paying attention. And I'm here to tell you that God sees you. And you have a father who loves you and who wants to be with you and will slow down and meet you in that moment. I mean, isn't that the gospel message? is that Jesus meets us. And here's the beautiful thing about the Doran Camp story is um, Mark had walked away from faith and came back and returned home, and Melissa had no idea that Jesus was pursuing her. And we're in the middle of this series. It's a three-week series called Testify, where we're talking about the power of testimony, the power of our stories. And here's the thing. What makes our stories powerful is not our stories. It's when Jesus comes into our story and changes everything. Amen? And last week, we... Uh, by the way, I'm Jason, if you're new here. <laughs> um, last week, we, we began the series, and we, Scott and Sarah Lester shared the story about how God brought back a dead marriage, a marriage where they were divorced, and it looked like things were done. And through the grace of the Lord and the hard work they put in, let's be clear, they put in some work, right? That's the part is it's not just the Spirit, it's our partnering with what the Spirit wants to do. God restored a broken marriage, and I would think if you talk to them now, they would say their marriage is the best it's ever been, and they finally got the marriage they always wanted. And can we just give a clap for what God has done in that? I mean, that's amazing. This is the power of testimony. This is the power of story. And last week, we talked about the story and encounter where Jesus is going about ministry healing and a Jewish synagogue leader, his 12-year-old daughter. For 12 years, he's loved this little girl. She gets deathly ill, and he's so desperate that he seeks out a traveling rabbi that he's heard news of, and he falls at the feet of Jesus in desperation and says, Jesus, my daughter's sick. <laughs> If you just come in, if you just touch her, if you, you can heal her, I know you can do that. And Jesus says, okay, let's go. And they're walking. And in the midst of this crowd, a woman who, and this, we shouldn't lose this moment, this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. She's had a bleeding issue. And this 12 years, because of Jewish law, she was considered unclean. And anybody she touched was equally unclean. And so she has to sneak through the crowd. And here's the thing you may not realize is that every person she bumped into, she made them impure. Every person, and so she sneaks through the crowd in desperation, and she just thinks, I don't, I don't, I'm afraid of being rejected by Jesus, this rabbi. He, he knows who I am. He won't want anything to do with me if I can just touch the hem of his cloak. And she weak, goes through the crowd, and she touches the cloak, and instantly she's healed, but Jesus knows power has come out from her, from him. And he says, hey, someone touched me. Who touched me? And the woman very uh, fearfully, I mean, I want you to think of the fear because here's the thing, according to Jewish law, she could have had a, they could have picked up stones and killed her in that moment. And she has to say, it was me. And imagine the fear going through her head and Jesus looks at her and he says, woman, your faith has healed you. In fact, he calls her daughter. And what we may lose in this is, remember, Jairus at this point, he's still waiting for Jesus to go heal his daughter who's on his deathbed. And this woman, who probably has not been touched in 12 years, no physical contact for 12 years, Jesus has now healed her. And then some of Jairus' servants come and they say, Master, 
Your daughter's gone. She's died. Don't waste the teacher's time anymore. I want you to, for a moment, to picture what went through Jairus' mind. I mean, you just saw this beautiful moment where God heals this daughter of the Lord who's had a bleeding issue for 12 years, and yet his daughter, whom he's loved, his 12-year-old has just died. You think he's celebrating at the healing that just took place? No, he's angry, he's hurt. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not done yet, let's go. And so Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and they go to Jairus' house and they get there and he says, hey, hey, here's the deal, y'all. Don't stop crying. Stop crying. She's not dead. She's asleep. Now, here's the thing. She's actually dead. She's not really asleep. But Jesus knows something they don't. And as Jesus gets there, I mean, if you've ever seen a dead body, you know what I'm talking about? You know what death looks like. The spirit's not there. It's clear that this body is a shell that when death happens, the soul leaves the body and they know death. So when Jesus says she's asleep in their mind, they're like, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. She's dead. We know death. We're surrounded by death all the time. And Jesus says, no, 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 come with me. And he takes Peter, James, and John, and he takes the, the Jairus and his wife, and he goes to the daughter, and he grabs her hand, and he says, daughter, wake up. And instantly she gets up and she's fine. And he says, get her some food. Now, here's the thing. What you may not realize in this moment is that Jesus has brought two dead people back to life. See, functionally, the woman with the bleeding issue, because Jewish law says that when a woman, I'm going to be rather adult here, okay? When a woman is going through her monthly cycle, any release of blood means a loss of life and therefore she's unclean. It's not sinful to, have a, to, to go through your cycle. The bleeding issue is not an issue of sin, it was an issue of purity. And because of the blood, the loss of life, no one could touch her. For 12 years, she was socially dead. No relationships, no contact. I barely can't go through a morning without getting a hug from somebody. She went 12 years. For 12 years, this little girl knew the love of a father. And when that father was so desperate, God brought both of those people back to life. That's the power of story. Yes, Sarah and Scott's marriage was dead, but God brought it back to life. Amen? And this is what we have, is we have a God who brings things back to life. But here's the part I want you to hear, and this is so important for us as a community to get. It gets dirty. Doing the kingdom work of Jesus is messy. And most rabbis in the time of Jesus, if you touched a dead body... You were unclean. If someone who was unclean touched you, you became unclean. Jesus doesn't care about getting messy. He knows it's going to get messy. Now, we don't have ritual purity anymore, but sometimes we're so afraid to come to church because of our mess, and Melissa said it. It's messy. We have our mess, but here's the thing. At Zion, one of the things we say is, you're welcome as you are. All are welcome. With your mess, with all the things in your life, you're welcome. You don't have to believe to belong. But here's the thing. If we're really preaching it, we shouldn't be surprised when people take us up on the offer. That there are people who walk through the doors this morning. Some of you this morning have walked in, and I love the honesty. Some of you are walking in from a night of last night going, oh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and here's what I want you to hear. I'm so glad you're here. Jesus meets us in our mess. Our job is to meet people in their mess. Because here's the thing. I'm a mess. You're a mess. We're a mess. Amen? And that's part of the beauty of the gospel. It's not about us being put together. It's that God is holy, not that I am. It's that God is good, not that I am. 
This is the power of story. And when we live in that, we should expect that it's going to get messy. No one is ever surprised when a surgeon gets bloody. My wife and I, she's not here to defend her this service, so she can't talk back. My wife loves the show ER. hate that show. And I threw my wife under the bus for service because I've got my own lame shows that I watch. But we all watch it and, and the, it's always anytime there's surgery, it's messy, isn't it? We're never surprised and that's in real life. Well, here's the thing. As a church, if we're really doing the work of the kingdom, if we're really reaching out and trying to connect with people that are lost and hurt and broken, guess what we're finding? We're finding people who are messy and need a loving Savior to rescue them. Is everything okay? Do we need to call somebody? Okay, does somebody, can we contact 911, please? We got it? Okay, thank you. Can we just take a moment and pray real quick? If you want to extend a hand, I don't know what's going on, but the Lord does. <sighs> Heavenly Father, we just lift up um, whatever is taking place in this moment. God, that you would bring healing, that your touch and presence would be there. We surrender this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to read our verse for today. And I know there's a lot of stuff going on and there might be some moments and that's okay. Would you read out loud with me? Psalm 107, 14. Let's read this out together. You ready? Here we go. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Now let's go to the next verse. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. They tell us that there are essentially seven storylines, seven plot lines of all stories. And in the midst of those, here's what I want you to hear. These storylines are, there's disagreement about what these storylines look like. There's disagreements about how many. Some people think there's six. Some people think there's seven or nine or 36. But we have all these different plot lines and here are just a few of them. We have Overcoming the Monster. You're all familiar with this. We all know this movie. What movie is this? Empire Strikes Back. Here, you get a Twix. Don't worry, it's only left-facing Twixes. So, uh, for those of you not familiar with this movie, what's the next one? Tell me, anybody, tell me what this one is. Harry Potter. Which Harry Potter? Part two. Which one? Denlo. Oh, there we go. You get a Snickers. Don't laugh too much. Get it, Snickers. Here's another storyline plot device, rags to riches. First one to tell me what this one is. Aladdin. Aladdin. Oh, here we go. You want a Milky Way? There you go. Don't eat it all in one place. Rags to riches. Next plot line is the quest. Anybody recognize this movie? Oh, who said all oh, right there? You were their first service, so that's cheating. But I'm going to give you a three musketeers anyways. There you go. How about the voyage and return? Anybody recognize this plot line? Oh, who said that over here? Who said that? I'm not going to throw that because last time I did this, I hit somebody in the face. So here, someone pass that back. Here, pass that back. There we go. All right, let's go to the next one. Voyage and Return was this one. How about this one? Comedy? 
Oh, Brett showing him in. I should have known it was going to be Brett. There we go. Oh, I don't know if you saw that, but Holly was like, nope. Here, do you want another one, buddy? No, okay. Anchorman, how about tragedy? Anybody recognize this? You're not getting a second one. Anybody else want it? Here we go. Oh, there you go, buddy. Here you go. Okay, first of all, there was room on the door. Would we all agree that when she's like, never let go, Jack, she's like, peace. <laughs> right? I mean, here's the thing. There was plenty of room. They've done research. Like, really, they did a whole research on it that there was plenty of room. And then lastly is rebirth and renewal. And this is for the entire box. Who can tell me this one? Oh, wait, too many people are shouting on that one. Who, who is that? Oh, there you go. Okay, you get a whole plethora of things. Here, go ahead and bring that. Yeah, give that to Vince. There you go. Groundhog Day, greatest movie of Bill Murray's life. I've seen it multiple times, all in the same movie. Did you? Sorry, it was a bad joke. Here's the real question. The real question is not, are there seven or nine or 36 plot lines? The real question is this, what happens when Jesus gets a hold of your story? What happens when Jesus gets a hold of your plot line? When Jesus enters into your story, does it change? And here's part of what we discover is that when Jesus enters into your storyline, into people's storyline, it doesn't matter if it's a, a tragedy, a comedy, any of the other ones, overcoming the monster, a quest, is that Jesus can change everything. And I want to share a story with you from the Gospels. This is from Luke chapter 8, but it's also found in Mark and in Matthew. And here's what happens. Okay, so Jesus is doing his public ministry. And, and Jesus, uh, on the Sea of Galilee, on, on one bank, on the West Bank, you, have, you have essentially have the Israeli side, the Jerusalem side. This is where the Jews. And on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, you have the Gentile side. And Jesus purposely hops into a boat and he goes to the other side of the lake, to the other side of the sea. He goes to meet with the Gentiles. And when he lands there, and he does this to show that the kingdom of God, the gospel is not just for the Jews, for God's people. It's for all people. His heart is for the lost. And so when Jesus gets there, there's this man. And this man is demon-possessed. And everybody in the community knows this man. They know about this man. And part of it is what happens is this, is that he has isolated himself because of the demon possession in his life. And everybody's afraid of this man. He lives in the tombs. He lives among the tombs. And he comes to Jesus and he falls at the feet of Jesus. Listen to how it describes it. It says, For a long time the man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived among the dead, the tombs. Now, I want to stop here for a second, and I want to address those of you in this room who struggle with skepticism. I want to tell you it's okay to be skeptical. See, some of you in this room are going, Jason, I don't know that I believe in this Jesus stuff. I'm not sure I believe in demon possession or any of the things going on there. And a good friend of mine when I was younger who was a psychologist said this. He goes, Jason, here's the problem I have with the Gospels. Now, he's a Christian, loves Jesus. But when he said, when I read the Bibles and I read the accounts, a lot of the things that we see in Scripture, a lot of the stories of demon possession, of people having issues, I can explain away from psychological issues, mental health issues. 
They didn't know about schizophrenia back then. They didn't understand bipolar disorder. They had a basic understanding of things like depression and anxiety. And so sometimes people read a story like this and they go, I don't know that I can believe in that whole demon possession thing. So it must not be true. And here's the thing. I get why you're skeptical. As Christians, we believe that there is an unseen realm, a spiritual world that is filled with demonic. There is the the fallen angels called demons, Satan. Those things are real. But if you're not there yet, that's okay. I want you to hear that. We give you permission to have doubt. But let's focus on the right thing, not the wrong thing. See, sadly, too many Christians focus on the demonic possession and too many non-Christians focus on whether or not they believe in the demonic possession. But what they miss is they miss that Jesus met this man, healed this man, and did something miraculous. And the truth is, it may not have been demonic possession. I believe it was. I believe the scripture. I believe that the Bible understands that there are different perspectives on this. But there's another side to this as well. And here's the hard part. And I want you to hear this, especially if you're struggling with anxiety or depression or some other mental health issue. Sometimes the church gets this wrong. Sometimes we don't handle mental health issues well. Let me give you a personal story, and I have permission for my wife to share this. When we first got married, my wife dealt heavily with anxiety and depression. Heavily. I mean, it was hard. And we had well-intentioned Christians who came up and said, you know what the issue is? You're just not praying enough. Do you think that brought any comfort or healing to her in that moment? We even had one family who said, well, actually it was a pastor who said, the real issue, Jason, is you're not tithing enough. If only you gave more money, all this would be better. We even had one pastor who told us that it was a sin to take medication. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And I, the reason why I bring this up is we're talking about a spiritual issue, but we cannot exist that there are psychological, mental issues. In fact, growing up in California, I saw every day people who looked like they were demon-possessed. Some of them might have been, but most of them were dealing with mental, psychological, and basically drug addiction issues as well. I mean, there were all kinds of different things, and we need to be aware that people are coming, and we cannot always just say, oh, it's just spiritual, if you just prayed. Because, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I guarantee you there are people in this room that have prayed sometimes for years for healing around mental health issues, and it doesn't seem to get better. And if you tell them, well, it's just spiritual, what it tells them is that something is wrong with them, that maybe their faith isn't great enough, and that is not okay. And if that's been done to you, I want you to hear this. I'm so sorry. That is not the point of this story. So when, as we look at this, what does this mean? Even in the Bible, the Bible tells us that the, they understood that there were psychological issues and there were spiritual issues. In Mark chapter 3, we see Jesus has just begun his ministry. Check this out. He's doing his ministry. He's going out baptizing people. He's getting followers coming and checking them out. All these crazy things are happening. He's talking about a new kingdom, which was treason, by the way, in the Roman Empire. And his family's like, um, we think Jesus might be out of his mind. Like literally, it says that they grab Jesus and they try to put him into like the institution. They try and hide him because they're convinced that Jesus might be going crazy. Now here's the weird thing. Jesus, remember, Mary had a visit from the angel. Even Mary wasn't sure because Jesus was saying some weird things. That's the psychological component. But guess what the Pharisees thought it was? Demon possession. Both were wrong. 
Both missed the point that Jesus was actually God in flesh and he wasn't, he wasn't struggling with mental health issues. He wasn't demon possessed. He was God become flesh. But here's what we have here. We have a man who is clearly dealing with affliction. And if we want to deal with the right thing, instead of focusing on things like demon possession and whether or not that's real or not, what we want to look at is how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus enter this man's story? I think we can all agree, even if you're not a Christian, I think we can all agree that Jesus meets, cares for, and brings healing to the afflicted and the oppressed. Amen? Now let's get back. So this man who comes to Jesus, he's naked. Super uncomfortable. Like if someone was naked and came up to you, I think we'd all be like, what's up, dude? <laughs> right? <laughs> like... This naked man who everybody is aware of, who at one point they tried to chain down and he broke iron chains. He was so strong. He had seizures. He falls at the feet of Jesus. And this is what he says to Jesus at the top of his voice. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Now, here's what you may have missed. This is not the Jewish side of the lake. This is the Gentile side of the lake. They don't have rabbis over there. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know that, oh, this is that rabbi Jesus who's building up a follower. No, on that side of the lake, Jesus is a nobody. But this man knew who Jesus was because the demons knew who Jesus was. And the reason why they're all freaked out and saying, don't torture me, is that earlier in the gospel of Luke, Jesus has already cast out other demons. And they're terrified because whether or not they like it, they don't Respect him as king and lord, but he is sovereign and has ultimate authority. It says in James that even the demons believe in God and they shudder at his name. Jesus has authority and so they're terrified. They know that Jesus could cast them into what's called the abyss. The abyss is found in the end of the book of Revelation, last couple chapters. The abyss is the final place where God's judgment is going to be shown on Satan and his demons. You know all those cheesy cartoons where we have where Satan's got the little, he's got the little red horns and the pitchfork and he's, ah, and he's poking, you know what I'm talking about? That's not the picture of hell. Satan is being tormented already. He's already being tortured in the abyss. We know that is the dwelling place of Satan and his minions. He's just not finally been defeated yet. And the demons are like, don't cast us into the abyss. Just do something else. Now, here's how Jesus responds. Jesus knew the condition of this man. It says many times the demons had seized him, meaning he had seizures. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. This man had violent seizures and fits of strength so that iron chains could not withstand. They couldn't withhold the strength of this man because of the demons going on. But the bigger part is that the demons drove, drove this man into isolation. This man was alone. Now, I want to give you a quick fact. You want to know one of the best ways to know if Satan is messing with your family, if he's messing with you? I'm not saying you're demon-possessed. Please don't hear that. But this is one of the things that Satan does. First of all, Satan wants to do everything he can to surround you with death and isolation. This man was among the tombs. That's where he was driven. Some of you, you may not be physically among tombs, but your relationships are filled with death 
You live in situations that promote death. You have habits that promote death. You have belief systems that reek of death. And you don't see it. You just think it's freedom. Yes, it's freedom, but it's freedom that's led you to the wrong places. And then the last part is this. Satan wants you to be alone. He drives you into isolation. You know how many people I know who avoid church and they think, that they're, they think they're doing the right thing, but really what they're doing is playing right into the enemy's hands. They avoid community. This is the work of Satan. And so Jesus, in all of his authority, goes to the demons in this man. He says, what is your name? Straight out of a Hollywood movie. And the demons reply, notice not one, demons, we are legion. Legion was a Roman Empire term used to describe the size of an army. A legion is about a thousand members. He essentially, this man says, we are legion for we are many. And then they're like, whatever you do, please don't cast us into the abyss. How about we go into those pigs over there? Now, I want to set the scene for you. There's pig farmers all along that area. We know it's a Gentile population because Jews don't have, they don't deal with pigs. And the farmers have these pigs in the, and they're looking and all of a sudden they go, hey, Jesus, do us a favor. Just cast us into the pigs. Don't send us into the abyss. And Jesus gives them what they want. And so he casts the demons into the pigs and the pigs all of a sudden respond. And we don't know if it's out of, they sense the demonic presence in them. We don't know if it's because the demons wanted to do this. But immediately the demon or the, the pigs freak out. They run over a cliff and they fall into the water and they drown. Okay, now let's take a second. Imagine you're the pig farmer. And you look over, you see this random dude in some robes stop, and you see the demon-possessed man that everybody avoids walks up to him, and you see a conversation going on. You're like, hey, what's going on there? And all of a sudden, your pigs go, <laughs> and freak out. And they go running off the cliff, and you're like, what? <laughs> Can you imagine what's going through the pig farmer's mind in that moment? Like, what just, what just happened? And now, here's the part that we don't, we don't think about, and I want you to hear this. We immediately, in this story, are shown the two realities. The difference between Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom. Satan's kingdom is the kingdom of darkness, captivity, and death. God's kingdom is the kingdom of light, freedom, and life. Listen to Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 through 14. That you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And do we have that last part of the verse? Can we get that up if we have it please? Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says this. Next one, please. Let's read this out loud together. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God is about the business of bringing people out of darkness and into the light, out of captivity, into freedom out of bondage into a new life. This is the gospel. Now, here's what happens. These pig farmers, they don't understand what's going on. But what they do know is they just lost a lot of money. These pigs cost money. 
And so they look over at the man, and here's what it tells us, Luke chapter 8, 35 through 36. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were, what's the word there? Afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Now, I want to draw attention. There's a couple things that we might miss that are really important. This man had been violently out of control before, and now he's sitting calmly and peacefully at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed and listening. They've just witnessed. Everybody was aware of this man, and their response was not celebration. It was fear. They can't wrap their heads around what God has just done. Now, here's something that I hear all the time. I saw it in my own life. When you first come to Jesus, when Jesus comes to your story, the people who used to hang out with you when you were in the old story may not like the new story you're living in. Because you're now living in the light and you're reminding them they live in the darkness. Sometimes when God gets a hold of you, that new life, that joy you feel, feels threatening to people who aren't there yet. And instead of encountering the mercy and goodness of God, they're afraid of the power of God. John Calvin wrote it this way. We learn how wide is the difference between the knowledge of the goodness and the knowledge of the power of God. Power strikes men with terror, makes them fly from the presence of God and drives them to a distance from him. But goodness draws them gently and makes them feel that nothing is more desirable than to be united to God. In other words, for those who don't know Jesus... The power of God is terrifying. So don't be surprised that when you encounter Jesus and Jesus gets a hold of your story, the people who lived in that old story with you, they might be a little freaked out. And their response to Jesus out of fear, they missed the blessing. Their response to Jesus was, hey, can you please leave? We get it, like you, you've done some remarkable things. I, we don't know what you did with this guy. In their mind, they may have thought he was one of the Greek gods come in flesh. That was part of the reality. They didn't know that he was God become flesh. And, and in their mind, there, it could be a couple reasons. One, they could have been upset that Jesus just cost them a lot of money. It could be upset because here's the thing, it's, it's uncomfortable to see this. But I think there's another part. Sometimes people like us in our old stories, they don't like us in new ones. You guys know what I'm talking about? Sometimes people, where it's more comfortable for us to stay in our old story. Some people want us in our old story. They don't want us in a new story. And when they see that, sometimes that's hard. And here's the part I want you to hear, okay? We don't know why they were asked Jesus to leave other than they were afraid. But ultimately, it comes down to this. Human life matters most to God more than animals. Those pigs didn't mean a thing to Jesus. More than money, more than comfort more than cultural differences. Human life matters so much to God that God became flesh and ultimately died to set us free and bring us home. Now, here's the best part. I love this story. This man who's been set free goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, can I follow you? I want to follow you now. I want, it's, you, whatever's going on, I want to be there. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, you can't follow me. Instead, I want you to go home and tell your story. Tell the story of how God has healed you. We're going to finish and watch the last part of Melissa and Mark's story, but here's part of what I want you to hear. See, the Dornkamp's testimony, they were both in captivity. They just didn't realize it. Mark's captivity is he had walked from Jesus. Melissa hadn't even met Jesus yet, but Jesus met them both in their story just like he met this man. 
And I want you to hear this, is that Jesus can meet you in yours. Can we watch the last part of the Dorn Camp story and let's celebrate what God has done there? Can we just celebrate one more time what God is doing? You know, one of my favorite parts of their story is their story began at Grace Church in Mason City. God's kingdom is so much bigger than Zion. Amen. And God is doing some new things. And here's what I want to invite you to. Would you stand with me? Maybe you're finding yourself in captivity. Maybe you love Jesus, but you're finding yourself in bondage again. There are things that you are, are capturing, capturing your heart, capturing your mind that don't, don't belong there. Things that are not of the Lord. This morning, I want to invite you, if you're finding yourself in isolation, if you're finding your marriage, the people in your life struggling, if you're struggling, I want you to hear that God, this might be the moment in which God wants to begin a new story for you. What chains do you need gone? If you need prayer, we're going to have people in the prayer corner. Please go. But above all else, I want you to hear this. When Jesus gets a hold of your story, you're no longer the hero he is. It doesn't matter if it's tragedy, if it's comedy, if it's overcoming the monster. When Jesus gets a hold of your story, it's a whole new story. It's a better story. It's a God story. Amen.